Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be episode 264, and this is a little bit different episode than normal. This is actually a recording of the turkey seminar that Dar Colburn and I did uh, for the Desert Christian Archers uh, on March 21st in Phoenix, Arizona, and I had some requests uh, from listeners that weren't able to make the seminar uh, to put it on my podcast. And unfortunately, the entire seminar uh, is, is, was not recorded, but about three quarters, maybe a little bit more was. So um, the first part of the, the um, uh, episode is going to be a little message from a couple of gals at the Arizona Game and Fish Department talking about uh, a disease that they're worried about with the uh, the turkey um, flocks in Arizona. Uh, and uh, then you'll get to hear Dar and I break down and uh, do the, the uh, turkey seminar. So I want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast. also want to remind you guys that are applying for Colorado Big Game. Uh, that deadline is April 4th. Uh, you have to have your stuff in by April 4th. So don't forget Colorado. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, GoHunt.com, Insider, uh, Kuyu.com, Phonescope.com, and The Outdoorsman's. And you can check the show notes uh, of this episode and uh, get the uh, discount and promo codes uh, with each of those companies. And I want to thank them for supporting the podcast. Also, guys, uh, if you want to send me an email, a question, a comment, uh, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along on my Instagram at jscottoutdoors, on my business Facebook page, jscottoutdoors, also on my website, jscottoutdoors. I have a few spots available for the 2017 Goulds turkey hunts. Uh, I've already booked uh, a handful of hunts for 2018. Also have some coos deer hunts, both DIY and fully guided for next season for coos deer in Sonora, Mexico. So guys, let's get right to this episode and I'm excited to uh, the next episode. half dozen to 10 podcast episodes that I have coming here in the month of April coming up. I'm excited to be sharing those with you. So uh, guys, thanks for your support. Let's get right to it. We're trying to find out. Did they test positive in Colorado? It did test positive in Colorado, yes. And it was in a Merriam's turkey, but it was on the eastern part of the state and it was in only one bird. Yes. Um, so we're we're just looking for birds in Arizona. If we can get birds from the Nav- Earth from the reservations, we would love that um, because we want as much of a comprehensive picture as we can get. And this is this program is as new as to us as it is to you guys. So we're figuring out all the kinks, how to make it better. We have no idea if we're going to do it um, in the years to come, um, but we're hoping that we don't find anything. But better to know than not to. So yeah. Any other questions? We would map it. We would figure out exactly where it came from. And then as research comes out, if it's shown that it's having a negative effect on the birds, we'll try to manage for it. How we would manage for it, 
still unknown. Um, if it doesn't have any harmful effects on the birds, it might just be something that just persists in the environment. So we've got some flyers in the back if you guys have some more questions about the disease or our program. Also, Jen and I are kind of be sitting in the audience learning along with you guys about turkey hunting. So uh, if you guys have questions, uh, feel free to come up and ask. We don't bite. So thank you. We have some kids toys. Thank you very much to our Arizona Game and Fish Department guys. A lot of you um, <clears throat> have been involved with them, as such as myself, going to meetings and things like that. One of the thing about our department guys is they are not afraid to try new things. They, I would say that they're kind of more on the cutting edge than a lot of the departments and stuff. And they're not a, you know, they, they do overall a fantastic job. We have 13 different big game animals that we can hunt here in this state, which is absolutely awesome, you guys. And it's gone from our big 10 to now we have uh, 13 different species to hunt, which is just fantastic. And it goes to show the wonderful work that our game and fish department has done. Right now, I'd like to um, have Rich Williams come up, guys. He's, uh, I think he's wearing the hat for the... National Wild Turkey Federation tonight. He's also been known to wear the hat for the Arizona Elk Society and uh, among many others. I know a lot of you guys know Rich and we sure do appreciate him and he's got some information about some uh, youth camps and stuff coming up. Evening. So, you know, I gotta say one thing. Christian Hunters of America, how cool is that, huh? This organization is just gonna boom now. I'm, I'm really excited for him. How many uh, kids got turkey tags in the room? Are you registered for a camp? How many are registered for a camp? There you go. The rest of you need to get busy. All right, so that's what I'm here to talk to you first about is uh, with the uh, NWTF and many multiple partners. We have about, I'd say probably about a dozen partners working uh, three different camps. They open on the juniors weekend. Most of the camps hunt draw. So my particular camp is in Unit 23. We have two units we hunt that are draw units. That means you have to draw a tag for those units. And we have two that hunt over the counter. Over the counter, you can get that tag on your way up to camp. All right, and that, that is good in any unit that is over the counter. Be careful, don't go into the draw units, but check your regulations. But it's good for any camp. So you can hunt 20, I mean, you can hunt 20, you can, you can hunt 4A and 4B. Next weekend, you can you got to be out for a couple weeks, but when you come back, you can go to another unit. So, great camps, full of instruction. They're mentored camps. They're free, and all the camps feed you. There's a camp over in the 1 and 27 area. We're in 23, and then we've got a camp up by Happy Jack. You can find those camps on the Arizona Game and Fish website, along with all our, what we call our outdoor skills camps. That's an effort. Uh, through the Hunting and Angling Heritage Work Group. 42 camps scheduled this year. We run from big game all the way to squirrel, jackrabbit, predator calling. Uh, our friends back there, varmint callers, have a camp in August. You guys still have your camp in August scheduled, right? They're not paying. Okay, yes, they do. Okay. So, no reason not to attend camp. Uh, moms and dads, you can learn as much as the kids. Mentored hunt. Parents have to attend with kids. Kids have to be accompanied by a parent at all times. But we do take you out with some very experienced hunters. We have seminars during the midday. Uh, my camp also has a fish hatchery tour, and we usually get a stocking of the Canyon Creek at the same time. So fishing is available also, and we, all, we usually have an archery range set up. I, I saw a hand. 
What's the minimum the uh, minimum age for the camp? So you have to be 10 years old to hunt big game in Arizona, and if you're uh, younger than 14, you have to have hunters head. 14 and over do not have to have hunters head. We encourage hunters ed for all our participants, but first couple of our seminars are hunter safety and ethics and safe handling of firearms. Our mentors continue that talk in the field, so it's a very safe environment, very safe camp. <coughs> any, other, any other questions on that? Okay, the other thing I'm here to talk to you tonight about is license plates. How many, ha how many have a habitat license plate? Not nearly enough. So everybody in this room needs to have one of these license plates. This plate uh, is a $25 extra charge when you renew your license. You can go any time and get it. $17 of that, every time it gets renewed or somebody buys a new plate and buys one of these, we get $17, goes into a license plate fund administered by the Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation. That's some 35 organizations that work together to support habitat, youth education. Um, uh, can't remember third, but anyway. Uh, we granted $150,000 last year to habitat and youth education. These turkey camps are funded through that license plate fund. Desert Christian Archers have been the benefit of some of that money. So this tells everybody in Arizona you're a hunter, you're proud to be a hunter, and you support habitat and youth education. So please get the plate. Last year we took in $150,000. We've been growing about 10% every year. We hope to keep going. So please do that. Last thing, uh, if you do, let's do it the easy way so I can put some of you people on the spot. Uh, if you do not belong to a hunting and ankling sportsman's group, raise your hand. So my question is, why not? Why not? Those are the folks that are doing the work on the ground so you have the right, the ability, and the abundance of game in Arizona to hunt and fish. Wildlife conservation is supported by you, the hunter, and angler. It's not supported by the Center for Biological Diversity. It's not supported by PETA. They don't do any work on the ground. It's not supported by the Humane Society of the United States. Everybody know who they are? What's their primary mission? Stop hunting. No matter what they say on their website, their number one mission stated by their CEO and President, Wayne Paselli, many times, is to stop hunting and fishing. They are in Arizona. They have a full-time paid person here. They're attending the Game and Fish Commission meetings. They have vowed to stop lion hunting as their first target. They tried to introduce a bill just recently. It was, we were able to get to the legislatures and tell them the folly of their ways. They pulled the bill. We expect the next one will be a referendum challenge. I ask you to join, be aware of the issues, know what's true, don't fight amongst ourselves. It's gonna take everything we've got to stop these guys. And they're gonna be here. We've probably got a two to four to five year fight. If we lose mountain lions on a referendum, they won't leave. They'll start picking off one species at a time. They do things like they throw bobcats in with mountain lions. That's what the legislation said. Bobcats and mountain lions, we don't want you to kill those. Why'd they throw a bobcat in there? 
They're pretty. Cute. They're pretty. They're cute. That's why. Right. You know, most people would say, I don't really care if they hunt a lion or not, but a bobcat, they're cute. They're, they're very, very smart at what they do. Join an organization. Know what the issues are. Righteous legislators, we're going to need help. Thanks. Have a good seminar. Guys, we're going to get uh, Jay and Dar up here real quick. Just a couple other quick announcements for some of you guys that just got here. We do have some awesome raffles going on tonight. Uh, we're hoping that uh, Jay and Dar will tell you a little bit about uh, the hunt that we will be giving away tonight. And uh, they certainly some of the footage that is going to be on the videos and stuff is actually from that hunt. Uh, I've heard it is a super awesome, fantastic hunt, and just watching the videos proves that. But uh, I'm sure that they'll let you ask questions and stuff about it. But we will be giving that away uh, tonight for tickets are just $10 a piece. Also in the back of the room, guys, not to mention that we have all those kids' toys. Make sure the kids in the room get some, but if you have some kids at home, grab something and take something home for them. We're all about the kids at Christian Hunters of America. But in the back side of the room where you entered, there is also some sign-up sheets back there. If you sign up for that, that is a free raffle for a $50 Cabela's gift card. And we'd like to thank Josh from Cabela's for being so generous with their donations and stuff. Guys, but make sure you sign up for that. That will give you the option to win a $50 Cabela's gift card. We are going to pick uh, one winner from that tonight. And uh, make sure that when you write your information down that it is legible. Because by default, that Cabela's gift card goes straight to me if we cannot read your handwriting. So make sure you put down some information that, that we can read, guys, because we want to get you your gift card if you're the winner of that. So sign up for that. One other quick thing. Um, there is some camouflage clothes and stuff in the back of the room back there. And uh, that stuff was all left by uh, one of the guys that's doing the seminar tonight. So uh, it, there's some good stuff back there. He brought it in just if anybody's interested in that stuff and it fits you and stuff, grab that stuff and take it home. Here probably in the not too distant futures, we will be doing some kind of a uh, swap meet and stuff with hunting and, and the outdoor gear and stuff uh, at one of our upcoming meetings here with the Christian Hunters of America guys and we do meet the third Tuesday of uh, every month here we meet sometimes in this room sometimes in a smaller room in July we have uh, over a thousand people that come and join us for our um, July elk hunting antelope hunting seminar that Corky leads us in and then also uh, Eli and Tony Grimmett do the antelope portion of that as well but that is in July this year it's going to be the third Tuesday in July and it takes at the whole church. We have a ton of vendors here, a ton of raffles, and it's just a great all-around good time. We will also be doing, in May, we'll be doing a predator hunting seminar with Ray Everidge, uh, who's here tonight as well. He makes some awesome custom knives and stuff. But come check us out. Uh, just our general meetings and things like that. Our next one that's coming up in April, we'll have a Bible lesson in there. I'll talk a little bit about some hunting and stuff like that as well. And then the following month in May, uh, Ray's going to lead us in a predator hunting seminar. So a lot of fun, guys. And with that, uh, we'd like to turn it over to Jay and Dar. And, and for any of you guys that have not listened to the uh, Jay Scott Outdoors podcast, it's awesome. There's some great information on there, guys. Check that out. And uh, um, uh, you can subscribe to it. We'd like Jay to tell you a little bit about that, too. I've learned so much just listening to uh, that's myself and he does episodes every so often. A lot of great people on there and a lot of great information. So with that, let's uh, give a round of applause for uh, Jay and Dar. Dave, thanks. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for having us. He was here pretty much all day yesterday and uh, got here 
he was here by 10.30 or 11 today, so I want to thank him and the rest of the volunteers here um, for the work that they do. Got the front row here. Um, for those of you guys that don't know these characters here in the front row, uh, this guy right here, Larry Dirksen, actually taught me how to turkey hunt. And um, it's been a long time, buddy, hasn't it? Yep. Larry, uh, <laughs> I remember um, Larry inviting me to go with him and his wife and um, Carrie, and I just appreciate you guys uh, opening your door for me, and um, you know, look what it's turned into, all these, yeah, it worked out good, so really want to thank you for that, and sitting with good company here, probably have 500 turkeys shot right here on the front row, so... <laughs> 400, yeah. I saw people raise their hands before, but who drew turkey tags? Who drew Miriam's turkey tags in the room? Yeah, yeah sure, res count. So pretty good sampling. Uh, what about Gould's turkey? Anyone with Gould's tag? So we got two. What unit? 35A. Same, good. First hunt or second? There's actually going to be some video from 35A, um, so you'll get to enjoy that. So I want to thank everybody for coming. Yeah, thanks for having us, Christian Hunters of America, and thanks for showing up. So you've drawn a turkey tag, now what? That's the question. Does anybody know the answer? <laughs> That's why you're here. Dar, what do you think? Well, there's YouTube, uh, Game and Fish, your friends that have hunted the unit before. Uh, you got to do some legwork, maps, that sort of thing, before you can start scouting. I think one of the things that's... Are we getting some feedback here, guys? They said if we got too close to those speakers. Is that better? Um, I think one of the things that's so good about this day and age maybe even different than, say, when I started, you know, 20 years ago or yeah. 25 years ago. Um, there's so much information out there. I mean, you can literally go uh, Google Merriam's turkey or Rio's, because we have Rio's in the state. Anybody get a Rio tag? Right on, right there. Cool. So I believe there's, what, two tags or four? Well, two for the early on, two for the late. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, friend Brian Rimza had that a couple years ago. Yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's so much information out there, um, and I want to encourage you guys to, you know, you can learn a lot on YouTube. And um, Yeah, and Jay's, Jay's got a really good podcast that he has a lot of expert turkey callers that you can hear turkey sounds, really good callers, YouTube. Um, I mean, you can hear a lot of turkeys before you ever leave the house and, and copy and mimic what they sound like and their cadence. I I think that for me helps me more than anything because you can actually listen to the turkeys themselves. Um, and then there's a lot of great callers out there as well. You know, Scott Ellis, I had the fortune of hunting with him last year. He's a three-time head-to-head NWTF champion. And you can actually Google them by name or you can just put in there NWTF champion turkey caller and all kinds of stuff will come up. Uh, but there's a lot of great resources out there. But I think first and foremost, you also have to get up to the unit where you've drawn if you're not familiar with it and you've got to familiarize yourself with the unit by driving around and knowing the roads. 
We've got to speak to people that have, you know, had the tags. We've got some Game and Fish guys here. Um, they're an unbelievable resource for a service, guys. Uh, yeah, know. I believe Game Fish has, if you go on their website, unit breakdowns, and they, they'll give you some general areas for each unit where the turkeys are located, so that would be a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's important to get up there. I know time is precious and a lot of you. How many will be your first turkey hunt? So, okay, quite a few of you. We've got the young guys over here. Yeah, and any of the kids, definitely go to the turkey camps. Uh, it's a wealth of knowledge there. And the nice thing about the camps is you can go out, have some interaction, come back to camp and talk about what happened and get some advice as to, you know, what you need to do to be successful if you're not the next day and the next day. So there's a, it's a great resource. I've taken my boys several times. And it's, a, it's a great place. Absolutely. And I can tell a story on Larry. Um, I can remember we shared a real estate office together and I was just sick about turkeys and I made Larry bring his turkey calls into the office and said, let's go out because whatever I'm doing isn't working. And then I had the fortune to actually go with Larry in the field. And so these youth camps are a great thing, but if you have a buddy or, or somebody that you know that's a good turkey hunter, to actually go with someone in the field I think is huge because there's a lot of things that you can watch on the computer. There's a lot of things on my podcast. But more importantly, I think going out in the field is is even more important. Yeah, we definitely. Call them in our office, <laughs> what? We can call them turkeys in our office. Yeah, there's been a lot of turkeys funnel through our office <laughs> <Yeah>. for sure. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next slide. The importance of roosting turkeys. I keep going back to Larry. One of the things I learned from Larry is when you roost a turkey the night before, you have a starting point for the next morning. When you don't have turkeys roosted, you are faced with basically being blind uh, and being naked, for lack of a better term, of not having any place to go. So that goes back to what we were talking about before with knowing your unit, scouting your unit, going up and listening where birds are, you know, weeks ahead of time. And if, if you don't have any birds roosted, you can go to those places where you've heard birds in your scouting or if you hunted it the year before. What's the other way? Yeah, and I was just going to say, if you've never turkey hunted, turkeys sleep in trees, and that's what Jay's talking about, roosting. So right before dark, they fly up into the trees. And so you know if you roost them, you know where they're roosted at night. They don't move. They're going to be right there in the morning. Why do they roost in the trees? For predators to stay safe. So there are some places like Hawaii and New Zealand where they don't have many predators, where I, I haven't hunted them there myself, but I hear people say that they actually don't roost. That's because they don't have predators. They learn very quickly that they need to sleep up in a tree, um, and that's their only protection. So finding birds roosted is super important. Um, Dar, how are you going to go about finding roosted birds? Uh, so, let's say it's uh hour before the sun goes down and you're trying to find roosted birds. Yeah, so let's just say it's the weekend before your hunt starts. Um, I'm going to be, like Jay said, listening at first light before it gets light. I'm going to be walking logging roads, closed areas, listening for birds gobbling. Uh, Are you going to be calling Not going to be birds? calling, no. Okay. I'm just going to be observing, listening. Why aren't you going to be calling? Looking for tracks because I want to call them in the next weekend. Right. Um, the, the, lead, the, 
if you can not mess with them as much as possible, that's going to help you when you, the, the next weekend, go and try and call those birds. If you, it's so, it's so easy to want to mess with them, you know, gobble, yeah. get them to gobble again, you know, hit the coyote, well, let's see if they'll hit the peacock, well, let's try the alcohol. Really, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, and I would just say, too, that we've seen places where the bird, if you see them the weekend before, they could be in the same tree, same ridge, or they could be just in the same general area. So more than likely, they're going to be in the relative same area. They might not be exact same tree, but that general area. So I would be listening at first light, um, 30 minutes before dark, I'm out listening. Not driving around, I'm out actually out on a ridge listening for bird scouting. Yeah, and I think for those of you that are hunting on the res or hunting places that don't get as much pressure, I think also driving in your vehicle before it gets light and even after dark, trying to cover country, driving, pulling over, getting out, listening, trying to hear birds, is, is a fantastic way to cover ground and hear birds. On public land, it gets a little dicey because if you get everybody out doing it, and especially in the morning, let's say that you found birds, roosted them the night before, you've gotten up at you know 2.30 in the morning, you're out to camp at 3, and you're set up on your birds, and you did it right, and you're like, okay, we're, we're, we're in here, and then you hear, we've all heard it, trucks just driving all over on the roads, and you know, guys are 30 minutes late to the party, and they get there right when the birds are flying down. That That's a problem on public land. So, I would say try and focus more on areas where you know the birds are and where you've seen them and try not to interfere with your fellow hunter. I, I, I think it just seems like it's happening more and more these days. We're going to watch a couple videos. Throughout this seminar, if you guys have questions, feel free to ask them. And then we're going to do a question and answer at the end as well. But if it's pertinent to roosting or if anything in the video you have a question, just go ahead and ask them. Yeah, I mean, we've seen birds where it snows overnight, and we've got birds roosted. Dar had this on the San Carlos. We've had birds roosted, got in there, and there's snow on the ground, and set up on the birds, and they're not gobbling. And it's getting light, and they're not gobbling. I've also seen them when it's snowing, and they're gobbling like crazy. But he had birds, and he thought they somehow moved in the middle of the night. Now it's light. They haven't flown down. Well, he gets up to move after, what, yeah. 20, 30 minutes. Birds were in the tree the whole time. They were just cold and had snow on their head. Um, I've also seen it, I mean, Larry, you can probably say, I've seen it where it snows and they go crazy. To answer your question, they typically fly down when you are about at the point where you can just see. They have amazing eyesight. And I've seen it, too, where further along in the season, when they're trying to gather... They stay in the tree, the gobbler stays in the tree and gobbles, and the hens come to the gobbler underneath the tree. Okay? So they come to the gobbler. Once they're gathered, then he flies down to them. So sometimes the gobblers will stay up in the tree for a long time. Um, the general rule of thumb, though, is they'll fly down usually within the first 15 minutes of where you could say, you know, you can see, say, 100, 150 yards. Sometimes they'll wow you how early they fly down. Yeah, we've also, I was just going to say, seen it where you call a little too early and here they come and it's too dark. I, I had a perfect um, last year with Scott Ellis. You're going to see his first hunt, but I had a, a hunt with Scott Ellis. He's a three-time, he's the best turkey caller in person that I've ever heard. He's won the head-to-head the -head three times, and that's where you have to call against another caller. 
the second bird that we got on, we had the birds roosted. We got in there in the dark and they were gobbling and the hens were going like crazy. And he starts getting his calls out. I mean, it's early. Like, you can't see. And he's getting his calls out. And I'm thinking, I think I know what he's about to do. And I look over and I'm going, no, no. He's going, huh, what? I'm going, no, no. We're hunting ghouls, turkeys in Mexico. They're not called to. And he's like, no, I'm like, don't call yet. They're going to come flying right out of that tree. Be standing right there and you won't be able to see them. And, and it's pretty much what happened. He sat there for about another five minutes and I see him. He couldn't help but he pulled the call in his mouth because the hens are going like crazy and he goes, like that. And they're, I'm like, oh, you've done it now. 30 seconds later, the whole flock flies down and walks right to him. And I mean, it's, it's, I don't have the video on this, but it's dang dark. So you've got to watch that too, that you call too early and they'll come to you. Yeah, and I, I would say we really like to get in close and pinpoint exactly the tree they're in. Um, not just general location, yeah. oh, they're over there on that ridge. We, we'll leave someone back a ways and call, to call coyote howl, owl hoot, something. Yeah, so the night before guy, Dar's talking yeah. about, like, if we're trying to roost birds and we're working as a team, I will stay back or Dar will stay back, send the other guy pretty close, coyote howl, the bird gobbles, the, let's call him the runner. The runner moves in to try and pinpoint the tree where the birds are at. Call again, and you work that system kind of until the, the, the runner or the spotter can know the exact tree that the birds are in. If you... If, if you know the trees that the birds are in within, you know, if you can get 60, 70 yards from that tree, your success rate in the morning for us goes way up. What about you, Larry? Ray? Yeah. And also, GPS Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Yep. Definitely. Yep. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's a great point about the GPS. Um, when it's still light the night before and they're up and they're, they're in the tree, you can still see and you have great depth perception. But we've all, well, the ones that have gone in in the morning in the roost in the pitch black, you literally have no sense of, of distance and it, it's, a, it's, it's a, somewhat of a nightmare. But with the GPS, what I would do is take like a jacket, put it over me when I get close so they don't see the light. If the birds see the light, you guys are going to have a much harder time calling those birds in. So I try and hide, you know, because the, the LED gives off light, and try and cover that and get as close as I can. And then usually I have a marker. We didn't talk about this, but I have a marker where from the night before, you know, sticks, and I know that I got to walk 12 steps or 40 steps or 60 steps or 100 steps. And if I can see something in the, you know, in the silhouette, 60 steps towards that dead stump, I'm going to be right there on them. My success goes up a bunch. Yeah, and, and we also look for areas where they're going to fly down, you know, if it's really thick or if there's a nice little open area you can set your decoys or set up and you have a, a lot better chance of being successful. Let's uh, dim the lights and um, watch video here. Sorry, you can set this one up. Uh, this was actually New Mexico last spring. Um... This was like the second morning, I believe, no, the third morning. Uh, finally got the birds roosted. I roosted them the night before. 
and could actually see him with my binoculars up in the tree in the moonlight. It was like 400. I don't know how you didn't find him the day before. So we tucked in within probably 60 yards of the roost tree and just had an incredible show. So for that question before, the birds are still roosted. Obviously, you see them in the tree. The, the hens are calling, and the gobblers are pretty much gobbling at anything. You know, crows, the tweety birds, the other hens, coyote howling. And these are reals. And I tried to wait till the very, very last minute to call. We had decoys out in front of us. It's a target-rich environment. <laughs> uh, the night before. That's a great thing. Yeah, so it was it was pretty full moon, and I could I could see the birds up in the tree. So I went, I let it get really you know as dark as it was going to. And I snuck in there. There was a big open meadow right there. You can kind of see it was a big open, like a, almost like an old dry tank. So I set all the decoys out the night before. That way we didn't have to be moving around in there until the next morning. Look at them all pile out of the tree. That's what every turkey hunter right there dreams about. Yeah, real. Yeah. Just so you some perspective, too, that, that decoy is probably 25 yards away, 20, 25 yards. Notice there's still birds in the tree, too. So if you listen to the hens yelping, that's a real, that's an assembly yelp. They're trying to gather everybody up. So at this point too, I had hens in the in the decoys. There was and they were calling, so I just didn't even call really. Let the let the hens let the real hens do the work. No, we're set up against the just with our backs to the trees. But like I said, you can see it's kind of an old dirt kind of bed right there tank bed and it was just an obvious spot where they were going to fly down and strut around once it got light. I think there was seven or eight gobblers. You see this, um, well shoot it already went away. The bird that didn't have a full tail fan, it kind of had a like four or five feathers. That was a Jake bird. Like that bird strutting the full mature gobbler. That's a mouthy hen right there. There's a, there's a pretty good chance they're going to get a turkey this morning. <laughs> Let's talk about this. When the bird's in full strut like that, they can be tough to shoot. See how dark kind of popping there trying to get him to stick his head up. See that right there? That would be the perfect shot. That wasn't even me, that's the hens right, there were some hens right in front of us, staring in your eyeballs. So when they're close like this, guys, you cannot move. 
Absolutely, you have to be still as can be. If you move, the whole gig is up. Okay, he ends up shooting this bird out of the camera. Jay, you can probably go to the next slide. This is actually Skip Rimza, these guys in the front row. There's a bird roosted up in the pine uh, that you can see, and you're going to see him pitch out in the left side of the screen. You'll see him pitch out now right in the middle of the screen. So he knows I'm there. I called to him. He knows right where I'm at. There he comes. Pitches right out of the tree. A little bit of time goes by. Hear that intensity in the gobble? He's coming. So I just give him a little direction there. And once you see that, guys, let him come. But listen to what I say here. Let him come here. Don't move. Just let. Don't call. Let him come. Listen to what I say. He's probably 45 yards in closing. So Skip, I love him to death, but I've, had, I've got about five videos where I said, let him come and boom, he shoots. <laughs> this is a pretty cool clip. Uh, this actually, guys, this is in 35A. This was, the, this was the Arizona auction tag holder. Hold that for a second, Jay. This was the auction tag holder last year from Arkansas. Bought the tag. I was fortunate to, to take him out. We had some birds roosted. He wanted to harvest the bird, a Gould's turkey with his bow. Um, this was last last uh, April. So, uh, real fast before you start, Jay. We let the birds roost and then we let like 45 minutes go by and I hiked the blind and everything back into the setup and set it up the night before and the decoys. They were in the tree, but it was pitch black dark and it was probably an hour after fly up, so I felt comfortable that I could get in there and quietly... Um, set everything up and so this is the next morning. That's a Dave Smith uh, Jake, uh, Jake decoy. Yeah. He's trying to figure that out. This is a Gould's turkey. They're unbelievable how pretty they are. Yeah, so he's, um, he's a little confused, I think. So on, on turkeys, guys, with a bow, is anybody going to try with a bow this year? Hit him high and watch him die. Hit him low and watch him go. It's kind of like we go to get out of the blind and this other gobbler comes in. Oh, I'm so happy. What a morning. Jay, thank you so much. All right, um, guys, any questions about that, those kind of roost videos that you see? Yes, sir. I would say Merriam's almost always roost on the edge of a long ridge. And the reason why they like to walk up on a ridge or walk uphill and fly backwards. So if the tree, if, if your if your slope is like this and the tree's growing, you know, straight up, 
they can walk up this ridge and basically pitch right into the limb and ex exert hardly any energy. What part does wind have to play in roosting and setting up the next morning? That's a great question, Dar. They definitely call less in the wind, and it's harder to hear, so you're, you're going to have to be closer. I would almost argue with Dar a little bit on the fact that if you get several days of wind in a row, I've actually seen them two or three days into the wind, you know, a, a windy spell, really, really gobble on a morning that it's kind of calm because they're all dispersed and maybe they're not gathered up, so they'll gobble like crazy. Um, but I do agree. I think some, when they're in the wind, why we think they don't gobble as much we just hard to hear them. Yeah. Yeah, so you got to be more precise on where you're, you're going to set up that My evening question. and listen. My question is, you said you went in in the dark, set up the blind and the decoys? Yeah, the night did before. You, did you risk using any light at all, or do it all by feel? Yeah, it's kind of stumbling around in the dark for sure, but if you can get the decoys set up, and, and in this case he wanted to do it with the bow, um, and I knew that our best chance the next morning bow hunting was with a blind, so I went in there an hour after they'd flown up, and I will tell you, if you show them a light, or if they see you, if they fly up in a tree and you like walk out of a meadow and you hear them, I wouldn't even go back and even hunt those turkeys the next morning. Some guys would argue with me. Those birds, in my opinion, will remember overnight that you were there disturbing them and they will fly the other way. That's why I wait till like an hour after light. Sometimes I'll just sit, wait, and then approach when I know that it's pitch black dark because they'll hear rustling around all night with cattle, elk, deer, what have you. It's the human stuff like the lights and, and, and that kind of stuff. But no light, not even the green light. Turkeys can see color. Green lights don't help. Red lights don't help. Yeah, when, when Jay says get in early, we're getting in early in the dark and if we're making some rustling noises, then we're sitting for 30, 45 minutes not moving back against the tree while it's still dark, letting everything settle down. We're not strolling in there as it's getting light because they're going to start gobbling. Yeah, and I would say kind of a quote-unquote pro tip in my mind that I've learned from some of the, some of the guys um, here on the front row is if you're not waking up with a two in your alarm on public land, you're way behind. You're way behind. Um, it's very rare for me to leave any any bit after 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, I go way early. I would rather sit in my spot for an hour and a half and let it get light rather than we've all done it where it's gray light and you're trying to move in close to the birds and the next thing you know, they're on to you and they fly the other way. So go way early. And the earlier you go, the more you can get away with. I think you could go way, way early and use a light and they're still going to have their head under their wing. You could probably shine a light on them if they're not awake. Not that I would, but you probably could in a lot of cases. Um, and but the one time you know that I check my watch and the hen goes, she's up for whatever reason an hour early. You're done. Sure. Yeah, we'll go early in the morning and and set up. If we can do it the night before, we do it. Um, but we'll do it in the morning for sure, absolutely. And a lot of times the night before, even if I don't set them up, we're looking around saying, okay, here's an opening. This is where I'm going to put the decoys. 
So you can, like Jay said, make a marker and mark with the GPS so you know the less you can be moving around in there that close in the morning, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, and I got one thing to add to that because I... We hunt with um, a lot of turkeys in Mex- a lot of turkey hunters in Mexico, and it, it, it's just amazing. We have a lot of great people, but if I had one criticism of a lot of hunters that come hunt with us, we say, okay, we're going to sneak in. We're going to be real quiet in the morning. We're going to ease in here. We've literally had it on it where this is the tree that they're going to set up with their back to because that's going to break my silhouette up. Right? They start going pop. Bang! Breaking branches like branches. Scraping the leaves Birds out. Birds are 50 yards in the tree and they're cracking and banging. They've, I've seen it where we've gotten away with it, but I've also seen it where you know they're clearing out a spot. You know, Don't do any of that, guys, gals. Slide in, there's your tree, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to sit on a rattlesnake. Well, I've never sat on a rattlesnake yet. No. And... But just slide in and sit down and don't wrestle, rustle around. No zippers and yeah. Check your watch, lights. I mean, we've seen it all. Like go in with the predator mindset. Like you know, you're gonna kill whatever's coming down. Go ahead. Ground blinds are. Uh, using a shotgun? Ground blinds are incredible, but a lot of times you have to hike them a long way so they're heavy and they're noisy. And they're up. noisy to set up. If you have a good tank or a good spring or a good meadow that you've done scouting and you know there's birds there or you see a lot of tracks, it's great to get in there and sit and wait. I would say go with the, with the young guys and get them with their back to a tree and get a big enough tree where mom or dad get a big enough tree where you can actually sit right by them. And it it brings up a good point. So if the turkeys are roosted here, or if if it's already past light and you think the turkeys are going to come from right here and you're a right-handed shooter, you don't want to set up with your gun barrel right at them. Why? Because if they go this way, your range of motion is about here. So if you're a left-handed or right-handed shooter, let's just talk about right-handed shooters. If, if you're a right-handed shooter, so you're going to be holding the gun here, you want to set up here so you have all of here, and then you can swing all the way across your body. And then the, the little guys and gals, it's hard to hold a shotgun up for that long. So when it's pitch black dark, just, just have it set between their feet. Obviously keep their feet back and to the side um, and have your safety on. But just keep the gun down, and then when it starts to get gray light, then go ahead and pull it up and have them put, you know, rest it on their knee. Does that yeah. help? I would say with kids, because I have two kids and I've gone through it, kids move. They, they have to move. They can't sit still. Uh, like a blanket, some sort of camo blanket. Uh, That's a a big jacket of mine, I'll put it over them. Let them be comfortable in the dark. Don't worry about them moving. I mean, as long as they're not making noise, if they're moving around a little bit, let them do it in the dark, but then when it starts to get light, that's when you got to just say, okay, stop moving. Yeah, if, if I mean, you, you got to pick your battles because yeah, they're going to move. If, if your gun barrel's up like this and a turkey's right there and you move at all, if you, if, if you do that right there, it's over. Done. So you have to wait till either their fan, you know, like that bird right there could not see me because his fan's in the way. Um, yeah, or, to Jay's point, 
parents sit next to your kids so you can whisper to them and talk to them and explain when to move and when not to move because, a, I mean, a 10-year-old kid doesn't know when to lift the gun or adjust. So bl- blinds are great, but they're heavy. Right here. Uh, for the boy, it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> well, there's with the ponderosa pine, you either want to be dead behind it with range, range of motion on this side and this side. The problem with being behind it is if your arrows knock the trees in the way. So you almost want to be like long enough where you, you know you could move with the arrow knocked and not hit the tree if that makes sense. So either behind it or big trees to the side of it. And then you want to be turned like this so you still have that range of motion. A ground blind is definitely the way to go if you can. I was just going to ask, do you have any luck to bring them back in if somebody does move and they fly off? Or I'd go find new birds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. I think that's okay. It just depends on how bad you spook them. I'd rather go find a bird that's not spooked. I don't like. Uh, I like dumb birds. <laughs> I don't like educated birds. <coughs> you, you, you talk about scouting in the evening. Is there any uh, utility for scouting during the day? Yeah, scouting during the day, checking tracks, driving water holes, looking at dirt roads. If it's dusty, walk those roads. Have your buddy drop you off. Marvin Robbins, who used to do these seminars. Um, honored to even be on the stage that he used to do this on, but he would say park your truck and have one guy walk one way, the other guy walk the other, and look for fresh tracks in the in the road. Um, a lot of times too, if you see him there, you're walking down a, a road and you see him in the middle of the day, that's a good place to go the next day at the same time and just sit and do some light calling and just be patient. And you were, you were talking about uh, scouting a half hour before dark, so we started to listen. We've hit them all the way, you know, past an hour. I mean, it's pretty can be pretty dark. The the, the time that they're going to gobble the most is thirty minutes before the sun comes up, thirty minutes after, and then for about that first hour. Then they can get kind of finicky, and during the day, sometimes they can, you know, I've had it where you get them in the roost. And then you never hear another turkey gobble till that night. And sometimes you don't even hear them or get any birds roosted that night. So if, if you're not alone if during the day is tough for you. But I've also had unbelievable times at all hours of the day. You never know when they're going to hit them right. Um, but once they kind of get with their hens, they really have no reason to gobble. Unless it's later in the season when then those gobblers want to branch out they, they kind of the, the hens go to the nest and then they're back you know eight nine ten o'clock they're out looking for hens yeah and I, I would say jay's notorious for shooting birds at four or five o'clock in the afternoon and I, it seems like those gobblers leave those hens kind of midday and then that's a really good time to catch them they'll gobble once or twice at three or four in the afternoon so if you're not out there you don't hear it you know yeah we're going to talk about some afternoon setups and I'll kind of go into why I think I've had some good success in the afternoon. I know we still got a few questions. Um, let's bang through a, a couple more videos there. I think there was one more there, Jake. Um, I don't know if we're going to take a break, but guys, the Gould's Turkey Raffle Hunt, that's with us down in Sonora, Mexico. 
we have GouldsTurkeyHunt.com and ColbertAndScottOutfitters.com. Uh, we've been guiding down there. Last year we killed 26 birds. We're kind of on schedule to kill about 40 goulds. You'll see some some Mexico goulds turkey. It's phenomenal hunting. It actually spoils spoils us. Um, they never get called to. Um, I don't want to say they're dumb, but they're extremely fun because they don't get called to and they're cooperative. They're very cooperative turkeys. So it will spoil you for sure. But yeah, they're raffling off the hunt tonight, $10 a ticket. Um, there may be a chance, if you have a passport, there may be a chance to slide in and go in 17. Uh, if you'd rather go in 18, that's fine too. Your decoys, can you say how many you put out? Or yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, for those of you in the back that can't see, uh, Dar and I like uh, Dave Smith decoys. This is a Jake decoy, and um, they're very realistic. Um, to answer your question, how many do we put out? If I'm hunting Arizona state land and I can only take one decoy, I would probably take a hen decoy. Um, this Jake decoy is unbelievable and works really well and so does that full strut but I'm a little leery to use Jake and Tom decoys on public land just because of this head getting you know get shot. getting potentially shot by another hunter um, so I, I really probably would say don't do it but you know like Dave Smith made these decoys for us last year these are actually um, with Merriam's and Gould's in mind, you put a little white on them. I recommend like this decoy right here. If you were going to take one, this is probably the one I would take. Um, the feeding hen, I like it. I don't have any of the upright hen. The upright hen, obviously the head is up. That's in a little bit more alert position. I like this one's a little more docile, a little more content just feeding. What's the back end of that? Oh, this is the steak. It's, it's awesome because there's a steak. So I, I got these steaks actually. Uh, these are goose decoy steaks from Dave Smith, but the ground in, in Sonora is so hard. I bend steaks like crazy, so this year I'm going to try this um, goose decoy stand. But yeah, it's, it's nice because you can stick that right there. And we all, So we usually like take two or three decoys a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, I usually always have, well, a lot. In Mexico, I'll carry that full strut. I never go without the Jake. So on private land, this this right here is the best decoy in, that I think you could ever put out, right here. If you only had to take one and you didn't have to worry about getting shot, it's the Dave Smith Jake decoy, hands down. It's not, I, I wouldn't even argue with anybody about it. It's this. This decoy right here has killed probably more birds than all these other decoys combined. We call it the whipping boy. Yeah. So I'll set the Jake out. We'll set the Jake out and the Tom. And the gobblers will always come to the Jake. You'll see some videos here in a minute where they just pummel the Jake. They want to beat this thing into submission. <laughs> what, if, what if you don't have birds roosted? What's your strategy <clears throat> Yeah, I've been there a lot when you don't have birds roosted. I think we're, we'll touch on that a little bit in this mid-morning setup. Yeah, in mid-morning setups, we'll, if I don't hit it, make sure to, to ask me again. Let's roll this video. Um, these are Gould's turkeys. Again, this was last year. There's a mouthy hand. We love those. So you saw before the guy that shot with the bow. 
after he shot, we stayed in the blind, and this flock came in, and we got to sit there for about an hour uh, and had them all around us. And I would just say, listen to the cadence of the hens. Listen to the timing of their call. And they all sound a little different, but the timing and the cadence is what you want to try and mimic. This video is is on our YouTube channel. There's a, like right there, if you could mimic that, right there, your money. See, he's beating up the, the decoy. See it right there? It's laying on the ground. See him pecking on the... Actually, might be a hen decoy. This is 35A. Wake up. See wake him? Up. He's hitting the decoy. Watch this. That's, that's us wrestling around in the blind and the turkey's like, what are you doing? <laughs> There's something about turkeys, guys. I love all animals, but turkeys just got my number big time. I, I, I enjoyed this morning about as much as any morning I've ever been in the turkey woods. Turkeys don't smell at all. Turkeys don't, don't have a sense of smell. If they did, we'd never kill them. All right, Jay, we can probably go on. There's just a bunch of that. If you want to see more of this kind of stuff, you can go on our YouTube channel. There's literally um, hundreds of videos on this kind of stuff. Mid-morning roost setups. Here's going to be another video that I'll talk before it goes. This is a Skip Rims video. Same type of thing. Let them come, boom, type of thing. We didn't get birds off the roost. And I knew of this tank, and I had seen some sign there, so I said, let's go, and then let's walk about a half mile. A half mile? Why are we going to walk a half mile? Let's get 300 yards. I said, no, Skip, let's walk a half mile in. And so, I, okay, okay. He's awesome. Not drive. Yeah, not drive. And that's a great tip for you guys. If you don't have to drive there, don't walk. You can see sign, you can see tracks, you can learn about where you're going by just walking and be like, there's turkey sign everywhere. So we went, I peeked around the corner and there's just turkeys loaded down there and you can watch this video. Turn that light, that other light off too if you can. So they hammered, so they obviously know where I'm at. Turn it up a little bit, Jay. That's my nephew back there, by the way, Jay Pimer. Guys, once they're committed like that, let them come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not going to come much further and they're going to keep going to shoot him. I like shooting them at 10 yards. Skip likes shooting them at 50 yards. <laughs> Although they're harder to hit. It. Okay, that was me running the camera, but that was... Uh, how about that, Woody? He had a head cam. Awesome. He killed two. 
he, I didn't get him, but yeah. Dark. Yeah, so this was a mid-morning setup. We did have a bird roosted. This is down in Sonora, Mexico. Uh, Gould's turkey. And we roosted a bird the night before, but there was a big canyon, and I didn't get him exactly pinpointed. And that morning we set up on the one side, he was on the other. He didn't want to come across. So there, uh, it was probably 8, eight o'clock. Uh, there was a dirt tank, and we'd seen a lot of tracks and some birds there. So we kind of worked our way down to the tank and set up and called a couple of times and the bird answered and came in. Let's see. There's the old Jake decoy yeah, sitting out there loud and proud. The whipping boy. <laughs> and this hunter did wait and, and he got a good show. Guys, right there that gobbler's looking. Do not move. Let him come. Right there, he's looking really hard. See him looking? Let him come. Do not move. Okay, right here, he's going to go down in a little dip. If you've got to shift just a little bit, you might get away with it. But see how his eyes are up above the horizon there? Right there, you've got to move. Move what you need to do and just be ready. Let them come once they commit like that. Beautiful birds. Look at the copper in his breast. How far is the Jake Dark? Uh, this is probably 10 yards. <laughs> and we're not in a blind. We set up pretty quick. We tell all our Mexico hunters, let them come, let them do their thing. They're like, man, back in Tennessee, as soon as we see a redhead, we shoot. I'm like, no, we're going to wait. Most people can't take it, though. <laughs> Always, yes. yeah. Gloves, face mask, yeah. mask yep. Got to cover up your skin. <laughs> this bird definitely wasn't the dominant gobbler in the no. area. He was a little timid, but once he started beating the Jake, he, he felt a lot more comfortable. He's like, huh, pecked you on the head and you didn't even do anything. <laughs> I like these decoys because they swivel well on a stake, so they, I mean, when they move them, they think they're actually moving. <laughs> the Gould's turkey, their fan, their primary feathers are unbelievable when they're all strutted out like that. All that white on them. He's like, huh. Yeah. See how when the, the decoy pivots? So he's like, huh. I would agree with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now peck you in the eyeball. That was a really good hunt. That was actually the crunch was on. It was a, that was the last, last morning. morning. Yeah, and he had already killed a bird. That was his second bird. 
Yeah, he, he made his airplane flight out of Tucson by about 20 minutes. Yeah. We shouldn't have hunted, but we did, and it, it paid off. Mid-morning setups. Um, anybody have questions on mid-morning setups? How far from the tank? I was pretty close to the tank. Kind of an open area. Um, right, you know, within 100 yards of the tank. Tanks in Arizona especially are an incredible place to find turkeys. And if you go walk around a tank and if it's dusty at all or if it's muddy, I like it when it's dusty because you can really walk around and see tracks. But mud, you can you can obviously see their tracks too. Um, I like the dust because then I can usually judge how fresh the track is. If it's dusty and you still see the knuckles. Eamon, do you have a turkey foot back there? Yeah, You can probably hold it up. Um, you can see the knuckles on the the bottom of their yeah. feet, if you will.